Chapter 46 of The Golden Silence This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson Chapter 46 It was after one o'clock when Stephen and Neville bade each other good night, after a stroll out of the town into the desert. They had built up plans and torn them down again, and no satisfactory decision had been reached, for both feared that, if they attempted to threaten the marabout with their knowledge of his past, he would defy them to do their worst. Without Sadie and Victoria, they could bring forward no definite and visible proof that the great marabout, Sidi el-Hajj Mohammed Abdel Kadir, and the disgraced Captain Kasim Ben-Halim were one. And the supreme difficulty was to produce Sadie and Victoria as witnesses. It was not even certain, if the marabout were threatened and thought himself in danger, that he might not cause the sisters to disappear. That thought prevented the two men from coming easily to any decision. Sabine had not told them that he knew Sadie, or that he had actually heard of the girl's arrival in the Zoea. He longed to tell and join with them in their quest, but it would have seemed a disloyalty to the woman he loved it needed a still greater incentive to make him speak out while as for the englishmen though they would gladly have taken his advice they hesitated to give away the secret of sadie ray's husband to a representative ben halim's stern judge france various plans for action had been discussed yet stephen and neville both felt that all were subject to modification each had the hope that the silent hours would bring inspiration and so they parted at last but stephen had not been in his room ten minutes when there came a gentle tap at his door he thought it must be neville returning to announce the birth of a new idea but in the dark corridor stood a shadowy arab he who did most of the work in the hotel outside the kitchen a person has come with a letter for monsieur the man mumbled in bad french his voice so sleepy as to be almost inarticulate he would not give it to me the foolish one he insists on putting it into the hand of monsieur no doubt it is a pourboire he wants he has followed me to the head of the stairs and he has no french where does he come from asked stephen he will not say but he is a negro whom i have never seen in the city call him stephen said and in a moment a thin young negro dusted all over with sand came into the square of light made by the open door his legs were bare and over his body he appeared to have no other garment but a ragged striped gandura in a purple black hand he held a folded piece of paper and stephen's heart jumped at the sight of his own name written in a clear handwriting it was not unlike victoria's but it was not hers the man says he cannot take a letter back explained the arab servant but if monsieur will choose a word to answer 
he will repeat it over and over until he has it by heart then he will pass it on in the same way stephen was reading his letter and scarcely heard it was victoria's sister who wrote she signed herself at the bottom of the bit of paper a leaf torn from a copy-book sadie ray as though she had never been married she had evidently written in great haste but the thing she proposed was clearly set forth as if in desperation victoria did not approve she said and hoped some other plan might be found but in sadie's opinion there was no other plan which offered any real chance of success in their situation they could not afford to stick at trifles and neither could mr knight if he wished to save victoria from being married against her will to an arab there was no time to lose if anything were to be done and if mr knight were willing to take the way suggested would he say the word yes very distinctly to the messenger as it would not be safe to try and smuggle a letter into the zoea it was a strange even a detestable plot which sadie suggested yet when stephen had turned it over in his mind for a moment he said the word yes with the utmost distinctness the sand-covered negro imitated him several times and having achieved success was given more money than he had ever seen in his life he would not tell the arab who escorted him downstairs again whence he had come but it was a long distance and he had walked he must return on foot and if he were to be back by early morning he ought to get off at once stephen made no effort to keep him though he would have liked sadie's messenger to be seen by kiard neville had not begun to undress when stephen knocked at his door he was about to begin one of his occasional letters to josette with his writing material arranged abjectly round one tallow candle on a wash-hand stand that beast of a cassim he's going to try and marry the poor child off to his friend maeddine neville growled reading the letter stick at trifles indeed i should think not this is providential just when we couldn't quite make up our minds what to do next you're not complimentary to providence said stephen seems to me a horrid sort of thing to do though i'm not prepared to say i won't do it she doesn't approve her sister says you see who knows the man better his wife or the girl that goes without saying well i'm swallowing my scruples as fast as i can get them down though there's a lump in my throat however we wouldn't hurt the little chap and if the father adores him as she says we'd have ben helim pretty well under our thumbs to squeeze him as we chose knowing his secret as we do he wouldn't dare apply to the french for help for fear we'd give him away we must make it clear that we well know who he is and that if he squeals the fat's in the fire that's the right spirit we'll make him shake in his boots for fear we give not only the secret but the boy over to the tender mercies of the authorities for it is perfectly true that if the government knew what a trick had been played on them they'd oust the false marabout in favour of the rightful man whoever he may be 
clap the usurper into prison and make the child a kind of er ward in chancery or whatever the equivalent is in france oh i can tell you my boy this idea is an inspiration of a genius the man will see we're making no idle threat that we can't carry out he'll have to hand over the ladies or he'll spend some of his best years in prison and never see his beloved boy again first we've got to catch our hare but there sabine could help us if we called him in yes and we couldn't do better than have him with us i think legs now we've come to this turn in the road i agree so far still let's keep ben halim's secret to ourselves we must have it to play with i believe sabine's a man to trust but he's a french officer and a plot of that sort he might feel it is his duty to make known all right we'll keep back that part of the business it isn't necessary to give it away but otherwise sabine's a man for us he's a romantic sort of chap not unlike me in that it's what appealed to me in him the minute we began to draw each other out he'll snap at the adventure to help a pretty girl even though he's never seen her and he knows the marabout's boy and the guardian uncle he was talking to me about them this afternoon let's go and rout him out i bet he'll have a plan to propose rather cheek to rouse him up in the middle of the night we might wait till morning since i don't see that we can do anything useful before he only got in from seeing some friend in barracks about one he doesn't look like a sleepy head besides if i'm not mistaken i smell his cigarettes he's probably lying on his bed reading a novel but sabine was reading something to him far more interesting than any novel written by the greatest genius of all ages a collection of sadie's letters which he invariably read through from first to last every night before even trying to sleep the chance to be in the game of rescue was a new life to him he grudged sadie's handwriting to another man even though he felt that somehow she had hoped that he would see it and that he would work with the others he laughed at the idea that the adventure would be more dangerous for him as a french officer if anything leaked out than for the two travelling englishmen i would give my soul to be in this he exclaimed before he knew what he was saying or what meaning might be read into his words but both faces spoke surprise he was abashed yet eager the impulse of his excitement led him on and he began stammering out the story he had not meant to tell i can't say the things you ought to know without the things that no one ought to know he explained in his halting english plunging back now and then inadvertently into fluent french it is wrong not to confess that all the time i know that young lady is there in the zoea but there is a reason i feel it not right to confess now it will be different because of this letter that has come you must hear all and you can judge me so the story was poured out the romance of that wonderful day when while he worked at the desert well in the hot sun a lady went by with her servants to the moorish bath 
how her veil had fallen aside and he had seen her face oh but the face of a ori an angel yet so sad tragedy in the beautiful eyes in all his life he had not seen such beauty or felt his heart so stirred through an attendant at the baths he had found out that the lovely lady was the wife of the marabout aramea said not to be happy from that moment he would have sacrificed his hopes of heaven to set her free he had written he had laid his life at her feet she had answered he had written again then the sister had arrived he had been told in a letter of her coming at first he had thought it impossible to confide a secret concerning another that other woman even to her sister's friends but now there was no other way they must all work together some day he hoped that the dear prisoner would be free to give herself to him as his wife till then she was sacred even in his thoughts even her sister could find no fault with his love and would the new friends shake his hand wishing him joy in the future so all three shook hands with great heartiness and perhaps sabine would have become still more expansive had he not been brought up to credit englishmen stolid fellows at best with a favorite motto deeds not words as Sabine told his story, Stephen's brain had been busily weaving. He did not like the thing they had to do. But if it must be done, the only hope lay in doing it well and thoroughly. Sabine's acquaintance with the boy and his guardian would be a great help. I've been thinking how we can best carry out this business, he said, when the pack of friendship had been sealed by clasp of hands. We can't afford to have any row or scandal. It must somehow be managed without noise, for the sake of the ladies most of all, and next, for the sake of Captain Sabine. As a Frenchman and an officer, it would certainly be a lot worse for him than for us, if we landed him in any mess with the authorities. I care nothing for myself, Sabine broke in hotly all the more reason for us to keep our heads cool if we can and look after you we must get the boy to go away of his own accord that is more easy to propose than to do said sabine with a shrug of the shoulders well an idea has come into my head there may be something in it if you can help us work it we couldn't do it without you do you know the child and his uncle so well that it wouldn't seem queer to invite him to the hotel for a meal say luncheon tomorrow or rather today for it's morning now yes i could do that and they would come it would be an amusement for them life is dull here sabine eagerly replied good does the child speak french a little he is learning in the school that's lucky for i don't know a dozen words of arab and even my friend kiard can't be eloquent in it wings do you think you could work up the boy to a wild desire for a tour in a motor-car i would bet on myself to do that i could make him a motor fiend between the hors d'oeuvres and fruit our great stumbling block then is the uncle i suppose he's sort of a watchdog who couldn't be persuaded to leave the boy alone a minute 
I'm not sure of that, said Sabine. It is true he is a watchdog, but I could throw him a bone I think would tempt him to desert his post, if he had no suspicion of a trap. What you want, I begin to see, is to get him out of the way, so that Monsieur Kiard could induce the little Mohammed to go away willingly. Yes, ah bien, it is as good as done. I see the way. Hassan ben Saad, the respectable uncle, has a secret weakness which I have found out. He has lost his head for the prettiest and youngest dancer in the quarter of the Oliad Nails. She is a great favorite, Nejma, and she will not look at him. He is too old and dry. Besides, he has no money except what the marabout gives him as guardian to the boy at school. Hassan sends Nejma such presents as he can afford, and she laughs at them with other girls, though she keeps them, of course. To please me, she will write a letter to Ben Saad, telling him that if he comes to her at once, without waiting a moment, he may find her heart soft for him. This letter should be brought to our table at the hotel while Hassan finishes his déjeuner with us. He will make a thousand apologies and tell a thousand lies, saying it is a call of business. Probably he will pretend that it concerns the marabout of whom he boasts always as his relative. Then he will go, in a great hurry, leaving the child, because we will kindly invite him to do so, and he will promise to return soon for his nephew. But Nejma will be so sweet that he will not return soon. He will be a long time away, hours. He will forget the boy and everything but his hopes that at last Nejma will love him. Does that plan of mine fit in with yours, monsieur? Perfectly, said Knight. What do you think, Wings? As you do, you're both geniuses. And I'll try to keep my end up by fascinating the child. He shall be mine, body and soul, by the end of lunch. When he finds that we're leaving Oed Tolga instantly, and that he must be sent ignominiously home, he shall be ready to howl with grief. Then I'll ask him suddenly how he'd like to go on a little trip, just far enough to meet my motor car, and have a ride in it. He'll say yes, like a shot, if he's a normal boy, and if the uncle's away, it will be nobody's business, even if they see the marabout's son having a ride behind me on my horse, as he might with his own father. Trust me to lure the imp on with us afterwards, step by step, in a dream of happiness. I was always a born lure, except when I wanted a thing or person for myself. You say, lure him on with us, Stephen cut in. But it will have to be you alone. I must stay at this end of the line, and when the time comes, give the marabout our ultimatum. The delay will be almost intolerable. But of course, the only thing is to lie low until you're so far on the way to Tugort with the child that a rescue scheme would be no good. Tugort's a bit on the outskirts of the marabout's zone of influence, let's hope. Besides, he wouldn't dare attack you there, in the shadow of the French barracks. It's his business to help keep peace in the desert, and knowing what we know of his past, I think with the child out of his reach, he'll be pretty well at our mercy. 
when hassan ben saad finds the boy gone he will be very sick said sabine but i shall be polite and sympathetic and will give him good advice he is in deadly awe of the marabout and i will say that if the child's father hears what has happened there will be no forgiveness nothing but ruin waiting is the game to play i will counsel hassan i shall remind him that being friday no questions will be asked at school till monday and i shall raise his hopes that little mohammed will be back soon after that if not before at worst i will say he can pretend the child is shut up in the house with a cough i shall assure him that monsieur Kiard is a man of honour and great riches that no harm can come to little mohammed in his care i will explain how the boy pleaded to go and make hassan happy with the expectation that in a few days monsieur Kiard is coming back to fetch his friend that certainly mohammed will be with him safe and sound and that if he would not lose his position he must say nothing of what has happened to anyone who might tell the marabout. You think you can persuade him to keep a still tongue in his head till it suits us to have him speak, or write a letter for me to take? asked Stephen. I am sure of it. Hassan is a coward, and you have but to look him in the face to see he has no self-reliance. He must lean on someone else. He shall lean on me and Nijma shall console him, so that time will pass, and he shall hardly know how it is going. He will speak when we want him to speak, or write, not before. The three men talked on in Stephen's room till dawn, deciding details which cropped up for instant settlement. At last it was arranged, taking the success of their plan for granted, that Stephen should wait a day and a half after the departure of Neville's little caravan. By that time it should have got halfway to Tagort, but there was one borj where it would come in touch with the telegraph. Stephen would then start for the Zoea for an interview with the marabout, who, no doubt, was already wondering why he did not follow up his first attempt by a second. He would hire or buy in the city a racing camel fitted with a bassour large enough for two, and this he would take with him to the Zoea, ready to bring away both sisters. No allusion to Sadie would be made in words. The ultimatum would concern Victoria only, as the elder sister was wife to the marabout, and no outsider could assume to have jurisdiction over her. But as it was certain that Victoria would not stir without Sadie, a demand for one was equivalent to a demand for the other. This part of the plan was to be subject to modification in case Stephen saw Victoria and she proposed any course of action concerning her sister. As for Sabine, having helped to make the plot, he was to hold himself ready at Oet Tolga, the city for Stephen's return from the Zoea, and the rest was on the knees of the gods. End of chapter 46